This Janet Mefford Today podcast is brought to you in part by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa through Bible League's Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa campaign. $5 sends one Bible. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it. And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Thank you so much for joining us again. It is undeniable in these days that America is in a spiritual and moral tailspin. From leftist rioters in the streets to Marxists and sexual radicals teaching our children to the crumbling of our once great foundational institutions, we are continually reminded that we're a nation that has rebelled against God. And yet our nation is rooted in a history that overwhelmingly demonstrates the incredible blessing and providence of God. What happened to the Christian legacy of our country? And can our our American covenant be renewed once again. That's what we're going to talk about today with Dr. Marshall Foster. He is a Christian historian, founder and president of the World History Institute, and also co-producer of the documentary films Monumental and Unstoppable. And today we'll be talking about his very influential and best-selling book, The American Covenant, The Untold Story, which is out in a new American Campfire Revival edition. And so good to have you here, Dr. Foster. How are you? It's great to be with you on this wonderful day. Well, thank you so much for being here. You know, one of the things that so many Americans have lost is this true story of the hand of God in our history and what he has done for us. And it seems like we're losing more and more of this legacy every day. Uh, How do you see that in light of the fact that this book is now out in a new edition and there's so much more to talk about uh, based on when you first wrote it up until now? There's a lot more that's happened. Oh, yeah. We, we sold 120,000 copies back in the 80s and 90s of the American Covenant in the original version. It's, this one is 100 pages longer with 20 more stories, and we've added to it a lot. Uh, but telling the same story, which is that America was built on a covenant with God. And, of course, every nation is, ultimately, when you think about it, that uh, the Bible says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And, you know, if you go according to the eternal principles of right, as George Washington said, there would be blessing, but how can you expect the blessings of heaven if you if you go against the laws of the universe, yeah. right? Right, that's and right. And it's kind of like jumping off the Empire State Building. You can fly like a bird for 3.8 seconds, <laughs> but after that, boom, you hit it. And <laughs> that's what's happening to America. We've turned our back on the greatest legal system, the greatest structure of life and government ever known to man, which is our Judeo-Christian heritage that took 2,000 years to build and grow since the time of Christ through suffering and martyrdoms and death and tyranny that that dominated the world for 5,000 years till the pilgrims came across the ocean in the fall of 1620, exactly 400 years ago, land and signed the Mayflower Compact voluntarily, uh, uh, you know, free from the king, outside of their charter, they write their own form of government, which they, they use the biblical model of the Hebrew Republic from Moses, from 3,000 years before. Yeah, and they right. laid that Republican government out, and they structured it in such a way that it was copied by the Puritans and the Commonwealth that came after it. And 150 years later, we have a constitutional republic. It's a, it's a miracle. It's an absolute miracle. It's the greatest nation the world's ever known. It is the greatest form of government ever known, and it's, and it's biblically founded. And the big job, of course, has been the cover-up that's gone on the last 60 years to destroy that. 
story. Absolutely. Well, one of the biggest problems we have, as you point out in your book, is the progressive public education that most children are going through. And and we're seeing the fruits of that now when you're denigrating the United States of America and you're beginning to denigrate Christianity, which has become more and more popular in the last several years. Then, of course, your country is going to unravel. But talk a little bit about that cover up, because I think that's very important. All the things that the history books don't actually teach us. If you get away from Howard Zinn and you read books like yours, you begin to understand what really is true. But what do you think children most need to know? Well, exactly. What they what they need to know, first of all, is that they have not been told the truth. And this is where the parents must stop, you know, stand up and stop this, either by withdrawing their kids from the public schools or moving in and telling the teachers that we will not tolerate this 1619 history, this yep. false history of America that, you know, says that we were all racist and, and DS adventurers who came here to uh, take the Indian land and put people in slavery, and that was the goal of all the people of America. That that typical whitewashed job, which has been done over the last 70 years, was a specific Marxist attack. This, this didn't happen by chance. Yeah. It happened because men like Herbert Marcuse, who became the uh, head of the communist uh, group that was uh, forwarding the radical uh, uh, anti-war movement in the 60s, I was there when he was at the University of San Diego, and behind the scenes, fomenting the riots back in the 60s. I was at Berkeley uh, in the early 70s debating uh, Jane Fonda on the free speech platforms. I knew where these guys came from, and I knew where they went, because I was on the staff with Campus Crusade for Christ at the time, and we were we had a, we had a student division called the Christian World Liberation Front, right? Yeah. So we were out there with hundreds of students, with their thousands against us, and we would, we would preach the gospel, and then we would... Uh, we would, we would mingle with the crowd, and then we would meet up at Pinko's, and we would meet the 12 guys that led that movement, uh, you know, men like Jane Fonda's husband and the, the founders of the SDS movement and various people. Well, those people went on to become university presidents, and that's where they stand today, uh, 70, 75 years old. And those guys have taken their Marxist theory, uh, which was cultural Marxism, and they've used the race card now, because they knew they couldn't use the economic card as well in America because everybody desires to be rich and everybody want, everybody is fluid in terms of their economic status. Unlike it was, it was like in Europe, it was easy to kind of get a, a cultural war between rich and poor. But in America, we did have the racial problem and we, we have sinned racially. We've made mistakes, especially with the black community. And so that was an easy thing for them to move in and say, let's separate these two. Let's start race wars. Let's start... Uh, attack on this. And, and now, of course, it's become um, where we are today, where basically to be white is to be racist. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This is being taught on campuses throughout America, and it is an absolute lie. It is created lie by Marxists who could care nothing about the racial division in America. They want power. They want takeover. They want to turn us into Venezuela. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and it's good for people to know about this so we know what's really going on behind the curtain. But what's interesting is here we have the pilgrims coming here because they wanted to preserve their religious freedom. And and everybody knows that if they grew up and they heard the story in school, which most of us did if we're old enough, we remember this story. But now we see Christians fighting for religious freedom in America again. What do you make of that, that cycle, that now we're kind of moving in the same direction that the pilgrims were in, not to that extent yet, certainly, but but what do you make of that, the fact that Christians are right back where they started in some regard, or at least at the beginnings of it? Well, I, I think the, the thing that we're coming to realize is that tyranny 
is the way of the world. And so without faith in God, and specifically an understanding of, of a Christian self-government, where men can govern themselves by the power of God, what you have is that people powerfully, begin, going all the way back to Cain and Abel, they kill one another over power. Yep. And this has happened in all the ancient civilizations. You have no true liberty, even in Greece and Rome. Uh, all the, the republic and the democracies were really a sham, um, with 10 or 15% of the people getting all the rewards, and the rest of the people were either slaves or, or uh, peasants. And this was true and continued even after Christ, but it began to change in the time of Patrick, when he came in and converted the pagan Irish and turned them to the biblical principles of Moses and of Christ. And that began to change into a Republican government, into English common law, which came through Scotland and through the Irish model and through the, really the biblical model. That began to uh, help people to understand that all men are created equal. They're endowed by their creator with equal rights. Those concepts then came down through a Magna Carta. They came down through English law, and then they came across on the Mayflower yep. through men like uh, John Robinson, who was the pastor of the Pilgrims, who had learned about the Hebrew Republic from the Hebrew scholars in Leiden, where they had been, they had been uh, nine years, uh, or ten years actually, in exile, there in Leiden. And during that time, they had learned these biblical principles of representative government and holding the government accountable. And so that's what the pilgrims came over and they, they started this and the accountability, the election of representatives, the no king, those were all things that, that you had to go back 3,000 years to see in the past. Now what's happened is that we are reverting to a pagan nation. We're not, we're not evolving. We're not progressing. The progressive movement is not a progressive movement. It's a regressive movement. Yeah, you're right. It's going back to the ancient paganism of the ancient civilization. Well, I'll tell you what, Dr. Foster, hold on right there. We're going to have to go to a quick break. We'll come back with Dr. Marshall Foster, The American Covenant, The Untold Story is his book. Stay with us on Janet Meffer today. This is Janet Mefford for Bible League International, engaging the world with God's Word for more than 80 years. Believers in Africa are hungry to read their very own Bibles. Hear from Pastor Jeremiah in Zimbabwe. The church is growing very fast in the northern part of the country where Tsonga-speaking people and Zulu-speaking people. And, uh, you know, we find that there's a movement of the Holy Spirit there where the hunger or spiritual hunger is very much visible. If you can imagine 10 Christians right now in many places in Africa, on average, nine have no access to the Bible. Here's Lillian in Mozambique. We went to this church just on the outskirts of Maputo. Uh, the church had about um, about 100 people, and the, the only person actually who had a Bible was the pastor. But everybody else had never seen a Bible. And that gives us motivation to want to go more, to do more, to reach to as many people as we can, you know, where God gives us opportunity to go there and just take the Word of God. Through Bible studies and resources that introduce people to Jesus Christ, Bible League is faithfully discipling new believers in Kenya, Ghana, Ethiopia, and many other African countries. Here's an evangelist named Joseph in South Africa. We were in a place called Mpumalanga. The lady there is about 60, 62 years or so. She literally cried. She knelt down and she cried. She never, at the age of 60, she never had a Bible. 
it is so much fulfilling just to see people like her rejoicing um, when they receive their Bibles. You can be the answer to a Christian praying for God's Word through Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa. Call 800-YES-WORD, 800-Y-E-S-W-O-R-D. $5 sends one Bible, $50 sends 10. Call 800-YES-WORD, 800-Y-E-S-W-O-R-D. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back. Great to have you with us and great to have with us Dr. Marshall Foster, Christian historian and founder and president of the World History Institute and his classic book, The American Covenant, The Untold Story is now out in the American Campfire Revival Edition. And this is all part of a new movement that is really seeking to restore America's original covenant with God. And we're learning about that with Dr. Foster. You said something very important, I think, before we went to the break, Dr. Foster, where you said we are reverting to a pagan nation. And when we're talking about progressivism, that's really regressive. How do you see the Christian response at the hour, though? Because it seems at the very moment when we most need to be salt and light and the very moment at which we need to be fighting for our foundational institutions and for the Christian foundation of our nation, we're not doing it, it seems, in great enough numbers. What do you make of that? Well, I I believe this is, you know, we've been in the field for now almost 50 years. I've given over 400 seminars in about 28 states. And, you know, as you travel and speak to churches and we love them, um, we find that there is this pietism that swept into the church about a hundred years ago, and it was kind of a, as Francis Schaeffer used to say in my generation, a separation of the spiritual from the secular. Yep. Uh, it's kind of a two-story mentality toward life. That there's the holy part of life, which would be the, you know, Bible study, prayer, going to church, and maybe the church potluck, and then there's the secular part of life: education, government, uh, economics, how you spend your money, and so you spend ninety percent of your time really down here. And then you go get a little spiritual hit on Sunday morning. <laughs> that that philosophy of God not being sovereign over all areas and institutions has been uh, tr- tremendously uh, destructive to the church. It's made us uninvolved in culture. In fact, we controlled the culture all through the 19th century, and it was the greatest century of productivity in the history of the world. Uh, and we, we we gave all that up in the in the 20th century. Uh, moving more into uh, having our own little cliques in our churches instead of uh, being involved in the city councils and being involved in the school boards and, and really controlling the House and the Senate and the presidency by telling them that the Judeo-Christian model is going to be kept. <laughs> and so what, what's happened is that, that we, we, we've done that, but we've been trying, and this is what happens when people come back to these truths. That's why I'm so excited that the American government is taking off. The, the American Campfire Revival with Turk is just exploded across the country, but millions of people tuning in on and off. Yeah. And uh, we're going to continue this, by the way. Kirk hasn't announced it officially yet, but this is going to go on and on as an educational tool, uh, perhaps almost every night of the year. Uh, I haven't announced anything yet, but it's going to be going on, so people will have it available to them so that we can continue to educate. The problem is people perish for lack of knowledge. We, we, we lack the understanding of the greatness and the, and the mercy of God, the peacefulness. We're not attempting to do a coup here, an overthrow. We're not, we're not just a political movement trying to go right versus left. Ronald Reagan was right. He said it's not left or right, it's up or down. It's either up to the rule of law and the maximum liberty or down into the ant heap of totalitarianism. Yeah. And so, you know, if people can begin to understand that it is the biblical Christian principles, it is the Christian people in America are still 80 to 100 million strong, and if just a fraction of them, five or ten million, would become literally committed 
through the cultural mandate and the Great Commission stepping in to be involved in, in civil government, for example, especially at the local level, we could take back this country in a decade. Well, that's and what we're doing for you. Yep. It's just involvement, uh, and involvement with knowledge and an understanding that God wants us to make the world a better place. And it's up to the Christian to do it. Yeah, absolutely right. And of course, when you mention Kirk, you're talking about Kirk Cameron and this wonderful American Campfire Revival effort yeah. that you've launched, which is so significant. I'm glad to hear that it's going as well as it is. You know, when you're looking across the spectrum and you're seeing in the church, for example, I see a lot of this every single day because of what I do, but you probably see it as well. There are people inside the church that are denigrating the idea of culture wars all the time and saying, oh, we're not a Christian nation and you guys lost and, and, and really kind of discouraging. Encouraging Christians from getting involved. How, how do we deal with that particular problem, would you say, internally? Well, I, I think we need to define our terms. You see, that uh, there's been the stereotypes about separation of church and state, which is not in the Constitution. It was simply a letter from, to the Danbury Baptist from, from Thomas Jefferson, and it was not meant to say that at all. It was meant to say simply, I, you have freedom. Thank God for the Baptists. You have freedom to have your own religion, and the state's not going to interfere. Yeah. It was not, don't get involved in government. And so what has happened, that's been turned around on its head, and things like that, mischaracterizations and uh, the change of, of the nomenclature has, has destroyed people's understanding of what it means to be involved. And so once we come back and begin to understand this properly, we can see that this is part of the Lordship of Christ. We we move in and, and we bring those principles. Either our principles will prevail or, or someone else's will, and anyone else's will lead to death, despair, and ultimately human sacrifice. Yeah. You know, we, we say that uh, flippantly, but it's really true. We're moving back to the ancient civilizations of the Canaanites where we're offering our children for sacrifice. Oh, That's it's, where we're headed. It's incredible. And when you see yeah. children at drag queens, story hours, and I mean, the stuff that we're yeah. doing now and, and creating a, a, a fake institution in which you redefine marriage through five justices on the Supreme Court, it's, it's mind-blowing what's going on. I, I'm wondering what you think the future is, the immediate future is, for things like the concept of the individual. You know, we're so much based on that idea of individual rights and rights endowed to us by our creator. This was the founder's understanding, rightly, mm-hmm. of, of who we are as human beings. But when we separate the individual from Christianity, what happens? Because I know you address that in your book. Well, that's right. The individual uh, set free. And the whole concept of the individual was unknown in the ancient world until Christ came. And uh, one of the great Christian historians said that that was when Christ came for the first time, the individual meant something. Before that, he was simply a cog in the machine of the state. <laughs> and that's what it is in, under communism and socialism. You're simply a part of the system. You're not really a person. You're just a social identity because of a race or because of a certain cultural status. And then you're made to go against other, other groups. That is not the way God created us. He created us equal under, under him. And that we, uh, we, each one of us has our own personal dignity. And then the scripture makes it clear, and history proves, that when the individual is lifted up and his private self-government, where he owns his own property, he takes care of his own family, he doesn't depend upon the government, cradle to grave. Anybody that depends upon the government, cradle to grave, any country, is going to be a, a country in slavery and, and debauchery. There is no exception in history. You, this idea that we're going to have some kind of 
sweet socialism. We used to call it Christian socialism in the 70s with Ron Sider and his rich Christians in the age of hunger. Yes. He, came up, he used this Christian socialism to squeeze many Christians into this mold of, oh, I don't want to be, I want to be socially conscious, and I don't want to be a racist, and so I don't want to go with these conservatives because look what they stand for. There is no, uh, there's nothing wrong with be- believing in individual rights and individual integrity and responsibility on one hand and being absolutely against racism and for promoting and helping the poor. Guess who helps the poor more than anyone else? The independent, uh, thriving, free enterprising Christian yeah. who gives more money to, to give and help the poor than anyone else in the world. And so, you know, if you, if you want to have true uh, equality among people, that's going to come through the unleashing of the individual power that only comes when individuals get right with God first where God changes their hearts. And then as their hearts are changed, they love people, love your neighbor as yourself. Then we reach out with private charities and private schools, and we can, we can pay for the, the, the problems more than pay for them. We can love into the problems and make a difference rather than let the government do it for us. The government right now through Mr. Biden is taking over much of our lives, and it's going to destroy the character of the American people. Oh, no doubt about it. So when we're talking about the American covenant, what is the best way forward to restore that and to return to our roots under which God supremely blessed this land? And we want that to continue uh, in this effort for revival and restoration. Clearly, prayer is very important. But what about the renewal of the American covenant? Yes. Well, Jesus said it well to the Church of Ephesus, I think, in Revelation 2.5. There's many ways to state this. There's the Shema of Deuteronomy 8, I mean, Deuteronomy 6, where, where, where God says, you know, gives the, the four things you must do if you want to, want to build your civilization in Israel. Jesus said it well in Revelation. He said, remember from whence thou hast fallen. That means you've got to know the covenant. You've got to know the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. You need to know the Mayflower Compact. You need to know our original covenant. These were all made before God. The Declaration of Independence ends with firm reliance upon divine providence. We pledge our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Do we really understand that that means you and me? That means we we will, unto death, will defend those principles. Are we willing to die right now? Each one of us willing to give up our lives for the liberty that God has given us in this country? I don't think most people are. I think we've we've got to go back and renew those covenant commitments. And it starts with a renewal of our covenant with God, and then a renewal with the covenant with our heritage, what God has given to us. And then we do the deeds we did at first. Jesus says, after you've done repentance, and after you've, you've looked at those principles and you go back to them, you do those deeds. You begin to step out and be self-governing in your own life. That means you act upon what the Bible says. That's and, uh, and we're seeing that happen everywhere. We're, we're seeing a covenant commitment that we're going to give to all the, all the people next week, in fact, on the on the uh, um, campfire revival, Kirk will be down to his hundredth day next Thursday night, uh, and within this next week, we will be talking about uh, more of what people can actually do to commit themselves to restore the American covenant. And then we're going to go on throughout this next year, and you're going to hear a lot more about how that can take place in a very practical way in education, in government, in economics, in in the, in the culture, uh, in the arts and in music, and in movies. In every way, we need to move back in and do it now. Not next year, not next month. It needs to begin now in our hearts and our minds, and it begins internally to externally, from the bottom up, grassroots, 
It doesn't start at the top. Well, that's it's excellent. Not gonna happen. No, nobody's going to save us at the top. Yeah. It's going to have to come through a grassroots revival, which we believe, and I've seen at least five great awakenings in American history. <laughs> this, I believe, is going to be the great sixth great awakening that's going to sweep our country in the next year. Oh, boy, do we pray for that. That is so important, and I pray for that all the time. The American Covenant, Dr. Marshall Foster. Thank you so much, Dr. Foster. God bless you. Bless you. Thank you so much for your time. You bet. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. This Janet Mefford Today podcast is brought to you in part by Bible League International. We want to send 1,500 Bibles to Africa through Bible League's Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa campaign. $5 sends one Bible. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Welcome back. Well, it has been so great to see so many of you helping us out during our Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa campaign with Bible League International. And thanks to you and your generosity, we have been able to not only meet, but exceed our goal of sending 1,500 Bibles to our brothers and sisters in Africa who need Bibles, who have never had a Bible before. There's still time to help that number climb even higher, though, because the need continues. The cost is also very reasonable. $5 sends one Bible, $50 sends 10 Bibles, Here's the number to call 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-W-O-R-D, 800-YES-WORD. There's also a Bible League banner to click at our website, JanetMefford.com. We're going to spend a few minutes now to get an update on our campaign from Michael Woolworth, Senior Director of Broadcast Media over at Bible League International. And Michael, welcome back. Great to have you here. Janet, hey, thanks for being uh, such a great friend of uh, Bible League. Yeah, you know, your listeners haven't done much other than respond in great fashion to this uh, charge that we kind of gave them. You've been faithful in putting this before your uh, listeners. Can I give you a quick update on where we are? We would love it, yes. Oh, yeah, here's where we are. You know what, we, uh, several weeks ago we said, can we address the other pandemic? What is that, the severe shortage of Bibles available to Christians on the continent of Africa? Africa is where Christianity is growing in the greatest numbers, Janet, but would you know it in places like Kenya, Tanzania, Mozambique, and Ghana, places where we serve, at Bible League, we estimate that as many as nine of ten Christians in those parts do not have access to the Word of God. So we said, let's can we do this for 1,500 Bibleist believers, whether they speak Portuguese or Shona, Swahili? Let's get them the Word of God. We set a goal of 1,500, and here's where we are today. Your listeners have sent more than 4,000 Bibles, and when you factor in the match, maybe you've heard us talk about Friends of Bible League agreeing to match every single gift, uh, regardless of the size. Uh, we have seen 8,000 Bibles sent. Let me make that more personal. 8,000 Bibleist believers only about a month ago who were without the Word of God, but new to the faith, will now have a Bible in their own language. Why? Because your listeners have chosen to get involved, and we're so grateful for oh, that, Oh, praise the Lord, and thank you, listeners, for being so responsive. That You, you can't quantify how important this is, Michael, because this is a of eternal significance. I never lose that, you know, the sight of that, the fact that when you give a Bible to somebody, you are giving them God's eternal, infallible, inerrant word, and it changes lives, and not only the lives of those who have the Bibles, but potentially people they come in contact with. Only the Lord knows exactly what will be done, but how exciting. Mm. That's just wonderful, and I, I'm so grateful to all the listeners for being so generous. Amen. 
It's wonderful. Talk a little bit about where these Bibles go. You had mentioned Mozambique, for example. I think we discussed Mozambique and the situation there the last time that we talked. Mm-hmm. Another country, though, is Zimbabwe. What, what, what is the situation there on the ground in Zimbabwe in particular? Yeah, you know what we're doing? We're putting God's Word into the hands of uh, these believers. He's putting it into their hearts. And I tell you, we notice a multiplier of 12. What is that? Around the world, the pattern we've seen in 83 years of ministry is that people get a Bible, and they affect uh, very quickly about a dozen people for Christ. They lead people to Jesus, Janet. They know that Jesus is not to be kept to oneself. He is to be shared. And that's why we can say that Africa is where Christianity is growing in the greatest numbers. Yeah, let me take you to Zimbabwe. Let me tell you a few things about uh, this uh, country a sub-Saharan African country. Uh, It has one of the world's lowest life expectancies. About 10% of adults there are affected with HIV AIDS. Uh, The Christian community is very small, but I can tell you they're they're growing. Many people here follow ancestral worship. They follow Islam, but I can tell you the uh, the, uh, church here is boldly living out her faith as followers of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you about a a man that I have met when I visited that part of the world not too long ago. The man's name uh, is Rangano, 80 years of age, Janet. He was born into a family with a polygamous father. He was child nine of his dad's 23 kids. And as he kind of dabbled and and grew in different religions, he would always ask the question, is this really true? Is this really true? And I can tell you that one day not too long ago, a man by the name of Dean came into that village. Who was Dean? Dean was a former radical Islamist who came to Saving Faith about five years ago, received some theological training, had a big burden to take uh, the gospel back into that remote village, which is predominantly Islamic. There was not a Christian as far as he knew in that village. So he came into that village and unfolded the gospel for people like Rangano. Rangano would ask that familiar question, is this really true? Now let me tell you what happened. He came to saving faith in Jesus Christ, and it wasn't long after that that he and 200 others were led outside of that village to a place of safety, and they all had the same question for each other. You know what it was? <laughs> you too? You too? What they mean? They meant that they were all members of God's redeemed family. This man, Ding, and some of the evangelists that he brought into that village shared the gospel in a very quiet and yet winsome way, and here are 200 new believers um, who need the Bible in the this, this Shona language. I mean, that's what God is doing in remote places like Zimbabwe, Africa. You know, you're not always going to turn on your uh, favorite cable news source uh, or uh, pick up your morning paper and read this sort of stuff. So, Janet, that's why at Bible League, we're so grateful that by spending a few weeks focusing on Africa, we've really we've been able to put that part of the world uh, into the, 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 the minds, the hearts, even the checkbooks of your listeners. They respond and they've sent Bibles. And so by drilling down today, I'm telling you about 200 more Christians that really can use uh, your act of uh, generosity. Let me say this. We talk a lot about hope. You know, we know it's a theme woven throughout the Bible, not only in relation to our salvation, but in dealing with hardships and struggles. I mean, think about it. My my greatest growth as a a believer, Janet, hasn't come on, you know, days of ease and, and comfortability. They've come on what? hardships and struggles, right? Right. And yet the Bible tells us, even in places like Romans 12, you know, rejoice in hope, be patient uh, in trials, and steadfast in prayer. And so by getting involved in this campaign, your listeners have been able to, to help these believers, even half a world away, embrace the hope of the gospel. We're so Mm. grateful for that. Well, we are too. $5 is all it takes to send one Bible to Africa. If you haven't been able to have the opportunity yet to call, here's the number. It's 800-YES-WORD. 800-YES-WORD. Or again, there's a Bible League banner at JanetMaffer.com. Michael, very briefly, how is it that Bible League is able to 
identify the believers who are without Bibles? Because I'm sure that's a question that's on a lot of listeners' minds. Yeah, we've, you know, God's given us uh, the grace to be on the ground with relationships with these churches. You know, most of our, uh, we have a very small staff, most of those affiliated with Bible League are volunteers. Who are they? They're pastors, they're lay people, they're, they're followers of Jesus Christ on the ground, even in remote Islamic villages. Um, who have a deep burden to see the gospel go forth. And then we come alongside them. We call them under-resourced churches. And, Janet, what they, what they don't lack is, what, a zeal and a great love for the Lord, His Word, His Word, His world. But what, what do they lack? Well, for in His providence, you know, or I should say in His sovereignty, God allows them to be planted in places where it's very challenging to live out your faith. And yet in His providence, He provides. He does that through His church. And so we work through those who are on the ground, Janet, just to provide them some tools, some scriptures, some Bible studies, um, and again, what your listeners are helping us make good on today is to get these believers, in the case of the ones I just mentioned, the Bible in the Shona language. We've taken care of the heavy lifting. Our prayer today is that some of the lighter lifting, if you will, will come together and that your listeners becoming Bible senders. Well, that's wonderful. And it's great to hear that all of these believers who have been without Bibles are finally going to get one. And, and $5, again, I know I've asked you this before, Michael, but for those who haven't heard the answer, $5 for a Bible is an incredible price. How are you able to do it for just $5 a Bible, getting it yeah. all the way across the world? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, $5, it's a price point we know, right? Over the last year, it's what? It's a box of tissues, it's disinfectant, <laughs> box of masks. Yeah, to think that $5 will put a Bible into the hands of a believer. You know, long gone are the days where you would put a carton of Bibles on a ship and pray it gets there in six months. We work with printers around the world where it's safe to print Bibles. And then when we meet goals like we're doing right now, we can say, hey, roll the presses. The resources are there. Let's put the Word of God into the hands of these believers. I love that. Well, again, if you have not had the opportunity to call and join in our wonderful campaign with Bible League, Open the Floodgates Bibles for Africa, it's not not too late. $5 sends one Bible and $50 sends 10 Bibles. It's just an incredible opportunity to get the Word of God into the hands of believers who desperately need a Bible. Here's the number once again, 800-YES-WORD, 800-Y-E-S-W-O-R-D. That's all you have to do. Call that number or there's a Bible League banner to click at JanetMefford.com. And again, Michael Woolworth, we greatly appreciate the wonderful work that you do over at Bible League. We pray for you and your team and thank you so much for what you're doing. Yeah, Janet, the feeling is quite mutual. Oh, well, you're so kind. Thanks again, Michael Woolworth. 800-YES-WORD, 800-Y-E-S-W-O-R-D is the number. We'll be back. Hi, this is Janet Mefford. If you're in need of a new health care program, but you missed the open enrollment deadline in December, it's not too late. A special enrollment period is taking place now through August 15th. During this time, you can enroll in the health care program of your choice without the need for a qualifying event. This means you can now enroll in a health care sharing program from Liberty HealthShare with memberships for individuals, couples, and families. You can find a variety of options to best suit your medical needs. Plus, you really can choose the doctor and hospital of your choice. Best of all, membership options start for as low as $199 a month. More than 200,000 Americans trust Liberty HealthShare for their health care needs. What are you waiting for? Discover more about the power of sharing at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT today. For more information, call 855-585-4237. 855 
585-4237 or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. When Julia ended a bad relationship, she found out she was pregnant. After the father told her to get an abortion, this mom was confused and didn't know what to do or who to talk to. I just knew that if I got an abortion, a part of me would be broken. Julia was referred to a preborn center where she was counseled and supported with the strength that she needed to choose life. I couldn't imagine my life without him. Because of them, he's here. We're going to get through it and it's going to be okay. Preborn centers provide hope, love, free ultrasounds and the gospel of Jesus Christ to moms like Julia. Preborn truly is the alternative to Planned Parenthood. Will you join Preborn in helping love and support young moms in crisis? For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds and help rescue five babies' lives. To donate, call now, 855-402-BABY, 855-402-2229, 855-402-2229, or there's a preborn banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Well, if your kids are attending public schools in middle school or high school, you might be aware that today is the Day of Silence, established in 1996 by the Gay, Lesbian, and Straight Education Network. As they say, the Day of Silence raises awareness about the effects of harassment and bullying toward lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, and questioning students. Hey, I was a questioning student. Do I fit into the acronym now? I had a lot of questions. I still have a lot of questions. Oh, wait a minute. You don't mean that kind of questioning. Okay. You know, the acronym just keeps going on and on and on. You never know when it will end. And at any moment, they can just throw another letter into the acronym. And then you have to feel bad that you are not on board with it. At any rate, the Glisten Day of Silence, if you are not familiar with it, is a national student-led demonstration where LGBTQ students and allies all around the country and the world take a vow of silence to protest the harmful effects of harassment and discrimination of LGBTQ people in schools. Let me just stop right there. As you know, and if you've been listening to me for any amount of time, you know this because I've said this over the years many, many times, this whole victimhood thing at this point coming from these activists who are so powerful and against whom almost nobody will protest and nobody will push back are a joke at this point for trying to say that they are the victims of bullying. Now, I'm not for bullying. I don't want any kid to be bullied for any reason. That's a terrible situation. Nobody wants kids to be harassed. Nobody wants that. But what happens is they take these words and they make these claims. And I've seen this over and over and over again with these gay activists. They make these claims to do some kind of a PR spin on whatever subject they want to. And they don't have anything to back it up. I mean, is there really some kind of national crisis of harassment and discrimination, especially discrimination against LGBTQ kids in schools? What what does that mean? Are we talking about you can't go into a bathroom for the opposite sex and that's discrimination? Is that what they're talking about by discrimination? Because we're going to draw the line in the sand on that one. You don't get to go in the opposite sex bathroom. Period. There are other people in this country besides you. We don't have to reorder society because somebody has a mental deficiency of some sort, gender dysphoria or what have you, that makes them think of themselves in ways that are not real. 
That's not the rest of society's job to reorder in order to accommodate this person's delusion. And I'm not trying to be unkind in saying that. I have a lot of compassion for people who struggle with that kind of issue. But they need help. And this is not the kind of help that you give. You would not reorder the lunchroom based on a kid with anorexia nervosa. You would recognize that a kid with anorexia has a very disordered look and view of food, such that that person, usually girls, won't consume enough food to stay healthy and drops weight and at the in the worst case scenario can end up like singer Karen Carpenter and die of cardiac arrest at the age of 32 because she didn't eat. There are terrible, terrible consequences to not actually understanding that you need to have enough caloric intake in order to stay alive and be healthy. So you don't reorder society based on somebody's delusions about food. Why would you do it about sex? Well, because that's where we are. That's where we are. And that's why we have the problems that we have. So this issue of discrimination and harassment of LGBTQ people in schools, I'd like to see a little more evidence of that. Because I think people now at this point in time are terrified to say anything. I'm not saying that there's no harassment or no bullying, but there are people with moral objections. And sometimes when you have kids who clearly see this issue as it is, they might not handle it in a way that an adult would handle it politely and appropriately with the least amount of conflict involved. Maybe kids sometimes say things that are nasty. But let me just ask this of this community and the schools that back this community. Why is this okay? Because this is flat out activism. We know it's flat out activism. It's no different than Planned Parenthood coming in and doing sex ed. They have an agenda. Their agenda is to get as many kids to give them business as possible. And I'm talking about high school students in particular. They want your daughter to have an abortion. It's just as simple as that. They want your daughter to have an abortion. And they want your son to encourage his pregnant girlfriend to have an abortion because that's how they make money. They make a ton of money, a ton of blood money off dead babies. So they want as many dead babies as they can possibly create, which is heinous and evil and wicked beyond description. But that's their deal. So when they come in and do sex education and you know flat out that they have an agenda involved, you should kick them out of your schools. They have no business coming in and talking to your kids. I'm just against this whole idea that you have these radical leftist uh, and radical sexual groups allowed into the public schools at all. And I don't care if that's not cool to say anymore. I'm still going to say it because it's true. Kids should not have to deal with gay activism in middle school or high school. You're there to get an education. You're not there to engage in social activism. Fine. Have a bullying, you know, a bullying policy in place and say no bullying, which most schools do, actually, especially in the younger grades. They have programs like that in a lot of public schools. So don't bully each other. Okay. You don't have to make it LGBTQ involved. Here's what they say, for example, the day of silence involves these kids taking a vow of silence, breaking the silence with a virtual rally or assembly to build momentum and showing their commitment to making their school more LGBTQ inclusive. What does that even mean? You guys have been holding this stuff since 1996. You got everything you want. What more do you want? Oh, they want more. The goalposts never stop moving. So I'm looking at this zine that they put out, which is kind of a shortcut for saying magazine. This is actually from last year, and I was reading through this Glisten magazine. It's incredible, some of the stuff that is taking place in gay activism today. But this is from a bunch of kids. 
These kids put together this zine and they put together this zine with a description of their hometowns and their preferred pronouns because, you know, we can't have just pronouns as they're appropriately uh, set in place to describe males and females. No, no, I get to choose my own pronoun. Okay, we're very good Gnostics these days. Listen to this. Here's one that a kid wrote. Respecting trans history. Now listen to this. This is a kid. I have no idea how old this kid is, but this is a kid saying this. Listen to this. I remember the first time I heard the story of Stonewall. I was probably 14, recently out, and thirsty for every ounce of information I could get my hands on. For months, I thought about throwing bricks and marching in the streets, surrounded by trans and queer people like those in the stories. I was trapped in my own history, overwhelmed by what I should have learned so much sooner. No one had ever taught me who my queer and trans ancestors were. Ancestors? No one taught me about the AIDS crisis or about the black and brown trans women that fought for my freedom. You know, this is like the new American Revolution in retrospect. Trans history is a part of me. Queer history is a part of me. Every time our history is erased is another moment that kids like me are in the dark. We deserve our history. We deserve to know about those who have come before us and how we can carry on their legacies. It's time to break the silence. What silence? You guys talk nonstop. What silence? What history? You want the real history of Stonewall? Uh, you do? The violence involved? This, the, the real history? <laughs> We've done a show on this before. The real history of Stonewall. It's not pretty. And these kids are dragged into this propaganda. Oh, this is my history and my trans ancestors. None of your ancestors would even understand what you guys are talking about. Trans? Can you imagine your grandma, your great grandma, hearing some of the language that we put up with today and saying, what are you talking about? I mean, I could imagine this. And it's more of this, you know, uh, admonitions for the day of silence and poems about owning your truth and on and on and on. It's typical stuff. And so if you've got kids in public schools, you might want to check into whether or not your school will be allowing this to take place because you should not you should not subject your children to this propaganda. And I agree with Linda Harvey over at Mission America. She said related to the radical day of silence, it's basically a day when students are persuaded by the gay lesbian straight education network that those who are drawn to homosexuality or gender deviance are perennial victims who are being silenced. It's true that students are sometimes bullied over these behaviors or their appearance. Bullying is never right, but silenced in today's climate, these are the folks silencing everyone else. Amen, Linda. And any school that allows students free reign to promote or excuse this harmful conduct is discriminating against Christians, those of many other faiths and families who believe this behavior is immoral. A school can stand firmly against bullying and never endorse LGBTQ behaviors. And these identities are not like race. Please inform your kids to watch out for such harmful misinformation. The day of silence is a day of deep deception, and it's sad for the kids involved who are being tragically misled. They do not have to go down the road of homosexuality or gender deviance. They were not born that way. So if your child will be facing a day of one-sided propaganda, maybe it's better if you keep them at home. Well said, Linda. Thank you so much. And thank you for being with us here on Janet Meffer today. Always a privilege and a pleasure to have you with us, and we'll see you next time. God bless. Thank you.